This week on the Recruitment Flex, Elon goes hardcore. Covering monthly expenses is now employees' number one concern. Indeed is starting to make a dent on the European job board market. And does flexible work just mean work all the time? Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how's Serge. it going? Well, you sound a little hoarse. It's a little nasally. I've, I've battled so many different diseases in the last <laughs> two months because... With kids, I think they've gotten everything that is possible to get, and I've gotten some part of it every time. Well, obviously, you you have three kids, and you were a working mom for most of it, right? Yeah, and I, all of it. <laughs> I am very fortunate that my wife stays at home with the kids for this period of our life. It just works really yeah. well for us. I don't know what I would do if that wasn't the case, because... Literally in the last month, we would have had to take in, I don't know, three weeks off. If you go under the guidelines, you can't send your kids if they're coughing right. or runny nose. I really feel bad for parents. Because as you know, here in Canada, I don't know about the rest of the world. It's a major crisis in the hospital for young kids. We're reading here in Calgary at the Children's Hospital. The lineup was 14 hours to see a doctor yesterday. And they had to recitate like three kids under two in like the waiting room. It's crazy. But just thinking about working parents, how tough is it right now? Yeah. Well, so it's hard for me to relate because... Quite honestly, Serge, and this is pre-COVID, I'm not trying to say like, oh, back in my day. No, the fact was, if you were sick, you went to work. Yeah. And if your kids were sick, one of the two parents had to stay home if you didn't have a childcare arrangement. But the fact is, as sick as you were, you'd still go into work. Yeah. You absolutely would. You would not be missing work. Not both parents, that's for sure. So one of the two of you would have to stay home with them. And pre-COVID, you could, depending on your day home provider, a lot of day homes would take care of your little one, you know? Mm. So there were lots more solutions. Now with the new mandates, if you're sick, don't come to work. That was not the case even just a few years ago. But there is a lot more flexibility when it comes to work now, where you can work and how you can work. Because working remotely, even three years ago, was not the norm, was the exception. Now it's, well, you're sick. Well, you can still work, just work from home. And sometimes being sick, is just better to take care of yourself, right? Some people don't have a job where you can work remote. Exactly. Or work from home. And that's quite a big percentage. You and I were talking this weekend, there's no pain relievers. If you've got a little one, a four-year-old with a fever, holy shit, and you don't have any baby Tylenol, people have had to get creative. And if you can't afford those compounding pharmacy formulas, like, boy, it's back to the old days where you're soaking the kid in an ice bath to bring the fever down. And this has been four months. There's been a shortage on the shelves for four I months here know. in Canada. I didn't um, know. And I didn't really notice until lately because we had bought some a while back and it was still good. But then when we ran out like two, three weeks ago, I'm like, what do you do? Like the girls have a fever. Like, how do you manage it? It's a little bit of a shit show right now. 
Is it the mm. same in the U.S.? Like, no, it's only in Canada. I, I don't know the exact reason, but one of the reasons they were saying is because of the English-French bilingual packaging, which they've recently let that go. But that was the main driver was the requirements for English-French bilingual, oh. which is crazy. I'm French, first language, but I'm like, that is just bureaucracy run amok if that is actually the case. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't hear that before. Well, talking about crazy, so I've had Twitter for probably 10 years and uh, I use it really sporadically. Most of the time is to Mm -hmm. look at sports or latest news or follow election results or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I have to admit, I've been on Twitter a lot more in the last little while, just trying to see what Elon is going to do next. Yesterday, he fired someone on Twitter, which was really interesting. And his employees are fighting back. He's putting out stuff on Twitter and they're telling him, no, actually, that's not the case. This is what's happening. It's probably a not a good move by an employee, first of all, to do that. But it just tells you a little bit of the culture war that is happening in Twitter right now. As well, he laid off 4,400 of his 5,500 contractors this weekend, and most of them found out on Twitter from a news reporter. Then they went on and logged into their Slack, and it wasn't working anymore. Then you take what happened last week where half of the staff was laid off, but they realized they needed these people, so they're trying to bring them back. Then there's a leak of a Slack message of one of the engineer leads saying these guys were all losers anyways. And that goes out. It's been a giant shit show. And I think what Elon has been trying to do is just he's such a hard worker, right? And he thinks by brute force, he's just going to make mm-hmm. Twitter work. He's not building cars. He's not building rocket ships. A social media platform is a completely different story. What's your take on all of this, Shelley? Well, I'm glad you tossed in that little nugget about he's actually running two other companies as well. It really lines up with everything we've ever heard about him in that he does believe the more hours you put in, the better. Yeah, That's very much his style. That's his personal style as well. He actually admitted in a meeting recently that he's got too much on his plate, that he's working seven days a week double digits on a daily. I don't know about you, Serge, but have you ever done shift work when you do seven 12-hour days in a row? I've never done it. But if you talk to shift workers who do like 14 12-hour days in a row, when you get to about day six or seven, you're not thinking clearly yeah, because you're exhausted. And even if you're fully competent, you do get to a point where your brain isn't working as well as it should. And we've proven that through the history of the human race, that if you get people to work 10-hour shifts seven days a week, your productivity drops. Yeah. How is he any different? He's not superhuman. Yes, there's no doubt he's done things that most humans would never do in a lifetime. Like yeah. he is the one in a million. But I he's think still just flesh and blood. Yeah, I agree with that. But also, I think he's trying to make a point. Obviously, he doesn't like liberals. I think he bought Twitter to piss them off. And it's not working for him. Let's just say that. It's going to be something that we're going to keep an eye out. But my prediction, so my first prediction of the year, we'll have a prediction show at the end of December, is he will not own Twitter by the end of next year. 
Twitter will not die on itself. Something's going to happen. This is not sustainable. And obviously, he's losing his shirt right now. Advertisers are just leaving like crazy. We saw the debacle of the verification with companies losing billions of dollars of valuation because of fake Twitter accounts that are verified and putting like wrong info, which I am not a genius. Even though I think I'm a genius sometimes, I knew that was (laughs) not going to work and that was going to blow in his face. My prediction would be he has a heart attack. Okay. I hope not. I would say that only because the human body can only do so much. And if you've seen pictures of him recently, he looks a little gray. Yeah, he doesn't. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I know when somebody doesn't look well. Yes. So, Shelly, let's jump into the recruitment. Okay. Okay. Some interesting insights this week. Are you familiar with Mercer? Yes. They have been for a number of years one of the most credible sources in terms of salary surveys, research, but they do so much more than that. Mercer has become like a deep research organization. They published recently what's going on. They call it inside of the employee mind. What is going on for their financial concerns? In 2021, the number one concern for employees was physical health and fitness. This is one year ago, and the number one concern now for 2022 is covering monthly expenses. Talking about predictions, the writing's on the wall. If people are worried about being able to make their financial obligations, one way to solve that, get a different job. Like wave two of the great resignation, this is what I believe. If companies are not going to address pay increases. And I'm not saying across the board. I'm saying there's some industries that just dug in their heels and they're not going to pay a living wage. Their ability to hire is just going to continue to be a huge issue. We're going to see a lot of companies either reduce their number of locations or start to close up some of their stores. What was your take on this, Serge? I actually saw this a little bit different. So you're right. It was a pretty dramatic difference from 2021, where people's health and fitness was their number one priority and covering monthly expense was number nine. Number nine has jumped to number one, which I look at it as the opposite effect of what you're saying that it's going to cause a great resignation. People that are very concerned about covering their monthly expenses do not change jobs. Employees are going to stay in their work a lot more than they did in 2021. And I think there is a lot of remorse for people that left their jobs in 2021 and realized, hey, we got catfish or the employer is not what we expected. And now they're thinking, I'm not willing to make that move again, especially in a time that there is so many layoffs. And when I say layoffs, The numbers are still very small in the grand scheme of things, but it's making headlines. And when it hits headlines, people just think, oh my God, it's happening everywhere. There's layoffs everywhere. We just saw Meta last week. Amazon just came out and said, we're laying off 10,000 people. These numbers are all Mm -hmm. big, but I think the number is you can lay off pretty much everyone in the internet type companies and it Mm -hmm. would have an effect of 0.5 in the unemployment rate, which is at record lows anyways. But if you are in a situation, I don't know if I can pay for my childcare or for food, 
I'm not going to risk changing jobs. Anyways, that's just my thought. They're going to try to get more money from their employer right now. I don't think employers are going to bend as they did last year. It's going to be a lot more challenging going into next year when it comes to what employers are willing to pay. It's really interesting that it changed so dramatically. Right. Um, yeah. In the year. Yes. Because number two for 2022 of what's on employees' minds is being able to retire. Yeah. And workload and life balance. Those rounded off the top three in 2021, still the same, but it was all about health and well-being, workload, life balance, yeah. mental and emotional health, personal fulfillment, even hit the top five. Whereas yeah. now it's all about money, being able to yeah. retire and covering your monthly expenses. Wow. You wow. got to be able to pay your bills, right? <clears throat> yeah. Jesus. Talk about what's on people's minds. What's yeah, on your very- mind, Serge? Well, I had something else in my mind. I saw this article by the evil HR lady that gives an example of a gentleman. His name is Adam Guild, who's the co-founder and CEO of Owner.com. He wrote, I think it was on LinkedIn, I forget where it was, that he ended an interview in 60 seconds. I'll roll through how it works. Okay, go. Him. Hey, how are you? The person interviewing says, Good, counting down the hours till the weekend. Ha ha. And then this owner says, I sense this is not going to be a culture fit. Sorry. So he ended the interview. This is a little bit of an extreme case, right? Ending an interview after 60 seconds. But I am usually a proponent of ending interviews early if it's not going to be a fit. Why waste my time? Why go through? 45 minutes, 60 minute interview when you know you're not going to hire them. I don't know. It's like a bad date, right? What was your thoughts here on this gentleman? Well, interesting that that sort of comment is something else that just irks the shit out of me too. Even when I'm just going to get groceries, which is like an everyday life occurrence and you small talk with the cashier and I'm like, how's your day? They're like, oh, counting down the hour, got another hour left. I'm like, well, at least you have a job. I'm glad you're working. I just put in a 10 hour day and I'm also here getting groceries and I got to go home and cook. Cry me a fucking river. I agree. There is nothing that person could have said to recover from that, even though they may have ha ha. But here's something I do know. There is always truth in jest. Yes. There's a little nugget of truth. And Adam Guild, he must also be of that same mindset. Like, you can't joke about shit like that. This is an interview. This is a dot com. They're somewhat of a startup. Fact is, startups are no place for somebody who's counting down the hours to the weekend. It's all hands on deck. We're all about the mission. That's a very different person. My thinking when I read this was, we're so Canadian. Canadians typically won't end the interview that quick. Would you you now? Because you still interview a lot. But I'm not interviewing for higher value, right? So it's different when it is your company. You have to think about the candidate experience. You have to think about employer reputation. Obviously, he doesn't care. I don't have time for this. If the CEO is going to be in an interview, it's pretty much got to be a slam dunk. And the CEO would be in the interview to help close the deal. This is more about being respectful. Whether or not I hire this person isn't even the point. The point is 
They believe they were heard, had a good interview. They can tell 10 people, no, I didn't get the job, but hey, it was a great opportunity versus what an asshole. You know, I did most of my interviewing the days before doing interviews on Zoom. Mm -hmm. I think my perspective would change now that you do a lot of interviews on Zoom because I felt really guilty of having someone drive all the way to the office and then send them on their way after five minutes seems like an asshole move. But over Zoom, I don't think I have that same issue and be like, look, you're not going to be a fit. Let's not waste our time. Boom. Like, it's not like they put effort. They probably put a sweater over or like a a nice shirt. (laughs) Oh, man, I've got one for you, Serge. Honest to God. Zoom interview. Candidate shows up with no shirt on. (laughs) The interview went for a minute and 20 seconds. (laughs) You did an interview with a candidate with no No, shirt on? No, this was a client. This was a client. What type Uh, of job was it? It was hospitality. Okay. No shirt. Did they have a good body or like? No. And he was wearing a mask. So he's sitting alone at home on Zoom with no shirt on, wearing a mask. He was playing a trick, right? Because have you seen on TikTok the guy that does the interviews (laughs) while he's drinking a beer, like real interviews, or he's doing the interview and he's driving and he's like, no, no, I'm not driving. Then he stops at the drive-thru and be like, can I get a fish fillet? She's like, are you ordering? He's like, no, no, no. Yes, with a Coke. No, I'm not ordering. What are you talking? Like, it's hilarious. And I've noticed as I get older, I don't want to waste anyone's time and I don't want anyone to waste my time, especially... To your point, if this guy is the CEO of a startup and that's the answer, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be a culture fit. I'm not going to knock him down for that. Yeah, me neither. Yes. Me neither. But it's not a Canadian thing to do. No, it's not a Canadian thing to do. Well, I want to jump into Europe. Okay. And I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is job boards. There's an article that uh, recently came out that was giving a picture of what's going on in the job board world in Europe and across the world to kind of see of how well are they doing, but also what are the potential challenges. And what we're seeing is a shift on the bigger job boards. Then I went to read a different article from our friend Jeff Dickie Chasen at the job board doctor talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a survey he did with 180 job boards that are mostly niche or smaller, right? Like Mm -hmm. so 10 to 50 million, let's say type of job boards. It's a little bit of a different picture. What's happened in Europe that happened in Canada, that happened in the US, that happened in other markets, we're starting to see Indeed being the market leader, which they weren't not long ago. Three years ago, Indeed was the market leader in one European country. Now they're the market leader in six. Why is it a changing landscape in the European job board market? So I think Jeff Dickey Chasen's report, he proved it out in that duration-based postings are still accounting for the majority of revenue for smaller niche job mm-hmm. boards versus Indeed, which is the cost per click or cost per applicant model, whichever, you know, pick one, but you're paying for it differently, or there's a perception that there may be more value or cost savings somehow if it's just a cost per click model versus duration post it here, you know the cost is $375, it's up for a month and you get what you get versus what Indeed is doing is more of a search engine type model. And I didn't realize this, but I do believe that Europe was slower to adopt that whole concept, cost per click 
they were still very much entrenched in duration-based job postings and job boards in general. The initial pitch is the same reason they dominated Canada too. Rather than duration-based, you can promote, you can save money here, spend more money there, depending on the demand, because some job postings don't need a budget at all. And other ones need big budgets. It is the perception of more control. That's why I think it's gaining ground. Consider what's happened in the last three years. But Well, I think it has nothing to do with the type of model it is. Companies follow the job seekers, right? Job seekers are migrating to Indeed, which usually has a lagging time in those countries. No matter if it's like a paper applicant, cost per applicant, or duration base, companies are going to where the job seekers are going. And I think this is what's happened. It's interesting because I think we're starting to see a shift in the US. Indeed, it's not gaining market share, they're losing market share. And they're losing market share to programmatic, which is not a job board, completely different. Programmatic is not a job board at all. Indeed, it's not a search engine. Like they were a search engine, but they are a pure job board. There's not many jobs on Indeed that are not paid anymore. So I think a couple of things that we're going to see, Indeed is going to gain traction in Europe. And the biggest reason they're going to gain traction is because programmatic doesn't really exist in Europe. Similar to Canada, it's very small, which is a shame because in Europe, there is a multitude of job boards. Programmatic would kill it because one of the biggest challenges with programmatic is you need multiple sources. You need multiple job boards that you're sending your job to. And in Canada, that's our challenge. There's only a few job boards. So it's really tough to leverage programmatic in Canada because if Indeed has 80% of the market share, well, now programmatic is battling for that 20%. As in the US, it's more 50-50, 60-40 type of approach and the market's bigger. But at the end of the day, job boards are still the number one place job seekers go to look for jobs. But we are going to start seeing a shift because one of the things this article points out too is there's so many scams with job boards that are hard to overcome, right? Like bot farms that are just applying for a ton of jobs. But I think we're going to start seeing more blockchain supported CV type of process to make sure that it's realistic. But you know this industry, Shelley. We're... 20 years behind. So you will definitely not see it in your career. And I might not even see it before the end of my career that we see kind of a blockchain supported resume type of service that guarantees that person actually really applied and the information is correct. I guess we'll see. It's going to be interesting the next little while, but Indeed is at it again, gaining market share everywhere they go. It's the big, bad, evil genius, as Chad Sowash would say. I know you're right. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be somebody trying to find an angle, whether it's bot farms or whatever. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting what's happening over in Europe, for sure. The last thing here, I'm going to change gears just a little bit. There was a blog of the five Canadian employers with fantastic, flexible work environments. Well, if that is not clickbait for me, I don't know what is. <laughs> when we look at these companies, I was like, huh, not who I would have thought was on the list. Flexible could be flex hours, flex time, or initiatives related to performance or results-oriented KPIs, or initiatives such as work styles, telecommuting, flexible workspace, job sharing. I mean, it's a pretty broad definition 
of how they came up with these five fantastic Canadian companies. Topping the list, Serge, were you surprised to see KPMG topping the list? That they offer a more flexible lifestyle for their employees, catering to a greater demand for work-life balance. That coming out of the mouth of KPMG. Yes. (laughs) I'm not surprised because if you're working 100 hours a week, they don't care where you work. Yeah, work from home. As long as you put the 100 hours, because I know people that work at KPMG. And yes, flexible, but do they have any work-life balance? On Glassdoor, the number one thing said is you're going to work like a psycho. There is zero work-life balance at KPMG. And for a lot of people, if that's where they are in their career, and this is what they want to do, yes, it's flexible. You can work anywhere. They have great programs. It's similar to the old Google, why they build these like massive campuses with everything. They just don't want you to leave, right? And it's (laughs) kind of what KPMG is doing here. Yes, we have all these programs that's going to make you work even more, but we're very flexible. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the things they list is just exactly that. They have these lead certified buildings with employee lounges and, you know, video games and nap rooms. (laughs) Because you're so exhausted. You've just done five 12 hour days in a row. You're too tired to drive home. Okay. Big hat off to KPMG. Did you know the ones that I thought were super interesting though, was Simon Fraser University and Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center hit the top five for employee lifestyle and flexible working. Some of the things that they highlighted would be they provide affordable housing options for the Simon Fraser University community in close proximity to where they live. That's smart, especially when you consider SFU is in one of the most expensive parts of Canada. That's really smart. Affordable housing. That is true innovative thinking. Yeah, I was surprised to see a university when it comes to flexible working style. I've never heard anyone working at a university that said that it's very flexible. Reading through this whole article and looking at the employers and the definition of flexibility, I don't know how much credence I want to give to this particular article because one of the companies they list as well is TELUS. I I was surprised to see that 40% of their workforce works outside the office on any given day. Their goal is to have 70% of his 40,000 people working from home or on mobile basis, at least part-time. So fascinating that TELUS is taking that leap. Massive yeah, they, company The point is TELUS always has. Oh, I think it? that was, yeah, TELUS has since 2015. When they moved to pandemic days, they were really a market leader. When you think of a telecommunications company, well, of course they should. All their employees should be using all of their stuff. Yeah. And to me, flexibility is the ability to go work when and how you can. I've worked for companies. They don't care how you get the work done, just you get the work done. And there's still not a lot of companies that offer that. Like they're still based on how many hours are you sitting at your desk? They can't measure what success is. And so they're still making the assumptions that. True. I need you working nine to five because of this and this. The the Serge and Shelley definition of what great employers would look like. What do you think, Serge? Do you know anybody who operates that way? We should do our top five list. Let's do our top five next week. Okay. Perfect, Shelley. Well, always a pleasure. I promise next week I won't be as nasally. You'll be all healthy by next week. Yes. And the girls will be all healthy too. 
Thank awesome. you for listening. Hey, have a great weekend. Talk soon. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.